We all share in the same story this morning. We all share in the same story. That we were all at one time lost in sin, in failure, in death. But now Jesus has given us victory. And the resurrected king is resurrecting us and giving us new life. And that gives us hope this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 5. Our key scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Jesus is speaking here and he says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about expectations. What we are expected to do. Uh, I've worked for churches for 20-something years, and uh, one of the churches that I worked at, we had a problem uh, with someone parking in the parking lot when they weren't supposed to be in the parking lot. And it wasn't just that they were parking in the parking lot, but they were sleeping in the parking lot. And they were using the bathroom in the parking lot. And uh, I was sort of unaware of this uh, just because of where they had parked and they were kind of, they were usually gone in the morning. But one of the neighbors came and said, hey, we saw this, we saw it. So I had to keep my eye out for uh, these people. Uh, and when the next time I saw, I actually did see their car in the parking lot, I went out to talk to them. Now, I don't know how you would feel, uh, but there's always, there, there's always a great deal of tension in my heart when I have to do something like this, when when I know that someone doesn't have anywhere to go, that they're sleeping in their car, and, and not only am I a Christian, but I'm a professional Christian. You know? <laughs> I, I work for a church, and, and I know what I need to do. I know that I need to ask this person to not be sleep in the parking lot, but I also, there's something about it that just feels weird and wrong. So, but I had to ask them not, not to do this, so I... I was nice, uh, which, as you know, that's a stretch for me to be nice. And uh, I even smiled, which makes it even even more difficult. Uh, we had a food pantry at that church, so I took groceries out with me and offered them food and said, you know, I, I understand that you don't have somewhere to go, but you can't you can't be here and use the bathroom outside and you know do these different things. And the response that I got from this person was the response that I was afraid I would get. You call yourself a Christian? Jesus would let me sleep in his parking lot. There are some really interesting ideas out there about what a Christian should be like, about what we should and shouldn't do. And we don't always meet the expectations that other people have of us. 
And we most often, when we talk about the expectations that people outside of the Christian world have for us, we most often talk about the ne- negative stereotypes that, you know, so Christians are judgmental or, or Christians are hypocritical, but we don't often talk about the things that people expect us to do that we may not be doing. And part of the reason why is some of those expectations are sky high. But why are they so high? They are so high because people expect that if we are going to call ourselves Christians, it means we are followers of whom? Of Jesus Christ. And everybody in their dog knows how good of a person Jesus was. How good of a person Jesus was. How he treated people. How he loved people. And this is what we call ourselves. We are followers of Christ. We are modeling ourselves after him. And the Bible is full of instructions on what it means to be the people of God. It is full of good things we should do to stay close to God and warns us of the things that we should avoid. But when we look at the big picture, we see that all of these things might help us do right, but what is really being described throughout the Bible is not a pattern of behavior. It's describing a kind of person. A a type of person. And we see this so clearly in the words of Jesus that we just read. You have heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Have you ever considered what it would take to let someone slap you a second time? Number one, you have to be in control of your anger. Number two, you have to deal with the physical pain that you're already feeling and open yourself up to more physical pain. And number three, and this is probably the hardest one, you have to be willing to give up what your natural rights are to defend yourself or to just not let yourself get slapped again. But that's not what Jesus tells us to do. And think about all those things that we would have to do in order to follow the direction that Jesus gives us. And the challenge is, in all kinds of situations, even when we are facing an evil person, the challenge that Jesus puts out in front of us is that we are to be like him. And sometimes being like him means we have to do something completely different than what we would normally do. Because, you see, in order to do the things that Jesus has listed in this passage, you cannot just act like a different person. You cannot allow yourself to get slapped and then open up the Bible. What is the response to the slap? Okay, this is what I do. Instead, in order to turn the other cheek, you have to be a different person than you would be otherwise if you didn't know Jesus. You have to be someone who knows the one true God, someone who has experienced the love of God in Jesus. Your life has to have been changed by that love so that you no longer live for yourself, but for the one who saves you. It's the only way to turn the other cheek every time. For the love of God to have changed not what you do, but who you are.
All right. Time to dismiss our kids to Children's Church in the nursery. So if you have any children that are still in the room, you can send them out the back. Uh, so last week, uh, in the from the book of Ephesians, we talked about uh, we talked about marriage, and uh, we're going to sort of hit a few of those things again. But I talked about how we uh, love and honor and and what how husbands should be are called to be like Jesus. I talked about some of those things, and then um, when I prayed, I called husbands boneheads when I when I prayed uh, at the at the end of the sermon last week. So someone sent me an email this week and said, hey, you spent all this time talking about how we should love and respect each other, and then you called husbands boneheads. And I said, you're right. I, I shouldn't have called husbands boneheads, because uh, within that context, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the right thing to do, um, even though sometimes we're, we're a little hard-headed. Uh, <coughs> just me. That's true. I should have just spoken about myself and not husbands in general, and that would have that would have fixed it. So as we get started here this morning, I I, I want us to look um, at our vision and values again. Um, so our vision statement, which is now written on the wall, uh, says we believe uh, the love of God in Jesus changes everything, and uh, I, I love that statement for a lot of reasons, but one of the, the reasons that I like it is how open-ended it is. Uh, and, and, and I love, I love the fact that this statement, that we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything, that it doesn't, it doesn't really give us room to leave things out. That word everything at the end. It, 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 it implies that that. All parts of our lives, everything we do, everything we come in contact with is going to be changed by the love of God and Jesus. And as a church, we identified uh, four different areas in particular that we wanted Christian community or, or how we live with Jesus to, to be different. And so the first value is belong. Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a family that accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. Our second value is grow, that Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Who are we? We are imperfect people. In every moment and everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found in Jesus. This need defines us, but it does not discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. Number three is give. Jesus changes the way we respond to others. Jesus saw people and loved them in a dynamic and passionate way, no matter who they were, no matter where they were. He responded to what he saw. We want our eyes to be open so that we can love people in that same way. And lastly, go. Jesus changes our understanding of what others need. We believe that Jesus matters. He matters not only to those who believe in him, but also to those who don't. The world is lost without Jesus, and as those who know his life-changing love, we must go and tell others about his love for them. 
So these are the values that we as a church have designated and set out. We want our church to do all of these things uh, in a way that shows that we know the love of God. But the truth is, we could add to that list. We got four, right? But we said that the love of God in Jesus changes how much? It changes everything. So we could make a whole list of, of ways that we could be different than the world that we live in. We believe that all of these things, these four areas and so much more, will be different if you know Jesus. And that how we do things or what we do is going to be different because we know Jesus. And as we were talking about in the introduction this morning, even those who don't believe in Jesus have the expectation that we are going to act differently than everyone else. And if you think about that core criticism, that Christians are hypocritical, what, it, what is it that they're, that they're recognizing or seeing when they call a Christian a hypocrite? It's that we as followers of Jesus are supposed to be different than everyone around us. And when we don't, when we're not different, when we don't uphold the values of Jesus, when we look like everyone else, people notice. And maybe they're noticing for good reasons, maybe they're noticing for the wrong reasons. But it does bring a question that, that I've, I've just been wrestling with and struggling with. So I hope that I make sense this morning. Um, yeah, I, it would be nice. It would be nice if, if I made sense this morning. But I want us to think about um, how, how we do the things that we do. Like when we talk about we're supposed to be different because we're Christians, like what do we actually mean when we say that? How do, we, how do we live that out, and what does that look like? What is actually different about us? And there's something that we need to understand when we look at the letter, uh, the letter to the Ephesian church. And that is that this church, if you remember from way back, if you were here when we first started this study, uh, this church had a lot of Gentile or non-Jewish people coming into the community, and these people came from, you know, from pagan backgrounds. So from backgrounds where there were uh, lots of different gods instead of one god. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about how sex was used within that culture, that there were temple prostitutes, that there were all these other things that were going on. And so when these people come to know Jesus, they don't know how to live in a different way because they don't know what that different way looks like. Think of it this way. Imagine going to uh, another country where they have completely different rules, laws, and customs. And you're going to live there, but you don't know what any of them are. Right? How many laws are you going to break before you figure it out? Right? I, I mean, it, think about it in those terms. These people, they're... It's like they're moving into a different country. They're moving into this place with Jesus, but they don't understand a lot of the things that it takes to get there. And so Paul has been trying to tell them in really pretty simple ways 
This is how your life is different. This is what you look like. These are the kinds of things you do. But at the, at the baseline of all of these things, Paul knows that the reason why people change their behavior is because Jesus changes who they are. And he's, and he's told us about that. So this morning, uh, we're going to look at three different uh, ideas that seemingly kind of don't go together. Uh, it, it's, it's weird. At first glance, it's kind of like, why are these things together? But in this section from Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul talks about three different things. He talks about children, he talks about fathers, and he talks about slavery. And here's what's interesting. This is not the first time that those things are all put together in combination. He does it in another letter, too, where he talks about children, fathers, and slavery all together. So if we recognize that, that he's talking about these ideas all together, what does that tell us? Well, there must be something. There must be something that, that ties all of this together. So what is that something? Let's pick it up in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Okay, so Paul here, he continues to talk about the family. And remember, in the, in the previous section, he's talked about marriage, okay? So now he launches into children. And in this verse, he's basically just restating the fifth commandment. Um, so the fifth commandment is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Um, honor your father and mother so it may go well for you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. But he, he makes an observation halfway through his, his reading of this. So there are some things that I want us to note really quickly. Uh, first of all, I love the simple expression, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> How many times have you had to tell your kids, you tell them to do something, and they say, but why do I have to do that? And I say, because I told you to do it. But why? Because I told you to do this. You are supposed to listen to me and to do what it is that I ask you to do. I am the parent. You are the child. Do it. And then, you know, the kids, they always do it in the most, like, happy, fun way after that. They're, like, so thrilled to just be, to be doing what it is that you ask them to do. But I love the simplicity of this point. Why should children obey their parents? Because it's the right thing to do. It's just, it's just right. But there is a, a little caveat in there that we need to pay special attention to. Um, children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So what, how, does, how do those words, those three words, how do they help us to understand both the family and why children should obey their parents in the first place. Well, there's an assumption that the writer makes. 
I mean, who, is he, who would be reading this letter? People who believe in Jesus, right? And so what should we assume about the parents? That they believe in Jesus and that they're doing the best they can to live a life that reflects the life that God is calling them to. When the commandments were written, and when Moses brings them down the mountain, he is giving people instruction, just like Paul is, about what it looks like to be the people of God. And they don't know that yet. If you remember the story of the Exodus, they've been living kind of without God for a long time. They haven't heard from him in a long time, and they haven't really been a people before. So this instruction is going out to them, but it's going out to people who are living their lives under God. And so he tells them that they need to obey their parents in the Lord. As your parents are attempting to do their best to follow God, you obey them. And by obeying them, what are you then going to get? You're going to begin to understand what it looks like for you to follow God. You see, like my boys, if they had their choices of everything that they would do, probably, you know, uh, reading their Bibles and, you know, praying and going to church are not things they would choose right off the bat. I mean, they like being here, don't get me wrong, but... They would probably choose, you know, Zeke would choose to play basketball and Jed would choose to play on an iPad. Like this is what they would choose if they had their choices. But I, as their dad, as their parent, I have to model for them what it looks like to live a life that follows God. And so I have them help me do this. They, they do things with me. They work with me as, as we... Um, as we uh, as a family, as we live a life that is modeled after God. And so they learn by going with me, by doing with me, and by doing what I ask them to do. So there's a second part, though, which furthers this concept beyond just simply like do what your mom and dad tell you to do. And the the second concept is that they need to honor their parents. So... Not only are they to obey, but they are to honor. Now, how do children honor their parents? Well, there's a lot of different ways, right? Uh, Obedience is certainly one of them, but let me offer you some other suggestions about how children honor their parents. Um, By living in a way that reflects their values. Uh, By being someone who glorifies God. By doing good for others. I mean... You know, when someone comes up to me and tells me how good or nice of a kid Zeke is or Jed is, like that feels great. And I'm proud of them. And what's really neat is that they're honoring me as their dad when they treat other people well. Because it's a reflection on, on who we are as a family. And then there's this last bit of wisdom. You do all of this so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on earth. I really like that. So is that insinuating that if you don't obey your parents, they will kill you? (laughs) This is the first instance of I brought you into this world and I can take you out, by the way. It's implied. You've got to read between the lines. You've got to read between the lines. Um, 
And as Paul, but Paul correctly notes, it's the, only, it's the only commandment with a promise attached to it. And so here's, here's what I love about this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. They're trying to live their life for God. Listen to them as they live their life for God. It's the right thing to do. And, and, and honor them because it's going to help your life go better. <laughs> If you live this way and you honor them, if this family is in the Lord, the smart choice is to obey and to honor because if this family is in the Lord, then you are going to learn to live as a family more like Jesus. So listen to your parents as they try to live like Jesus. Now, this is immediately followed up with a very interesting verse. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I put some other versions up here uh, just because I find the wording kind of interesting. So from the New American Standard uh, Bible, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And from the New Living Translation, fathers do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And then this other one I, I wanted to throw in there, because again, in Colossians, he talks about these things. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Let me tell you a little story. It's one that I've told you before, but it so fits this passage whenever I look at it or read it. Um, you know, when your kids are growing up, you're learning how to parent on the fly. True? Right? You're learning what works and what doesn't work. And as parents, uh, sometimes we're not the best version of ourselves when we're dealing with things with our kids. Uh, maybe we get too angry or maybe we're impatient or maybe we're too busy doing other things. We're not always the best version of ourselves. So Zeke wanted a lots, lots of hugging bear from Toy Story 3. And he wanted this bear so much. And um, but it was, and it was, it was big. It was right when the movie came out, and this bear was fifty dollars, and it smelled of strawberries. Yeah. So he wants this bear, and the bear would talk and do all these things. But we're like, we're not spending fifty dollars on a stinky, strawberry-smelling, you know, stuffed animal. Like it's not going to happen. But we went to the mall one day, and there was a Disney store, and they had a little lots of hugging bear that was like twelve dollars, and we were like. Win. It's like the best day of Zeke's life. We get home, and I asked Zeke to go wash his hands. And uh, he went back to the bathroom and came back too quickly with very dry hands. And I asked him if he washed his hands, and he said yes. And we felt his hands, we smelled his hands, which still... They were not clean. These hands were not clean. So I asked him again, did you wash your hands? And he said again, yes, I washed my hands. And so I didn't handle this very well. You know, my son is lying to me, to my face, really for the first time. He's figuring this out, you know. 
and, and he begins to figure out that, that he's starting to get caught. But in my anger, I decided that Lotso was going to go in the trash that we had just brought home. Because I'm mad. And I said, you take that. I made him do it. Take Lotso, put him in the trash. And he is like crying. He's so upset. I'm so sorry I lied. I'm like, I am too. Throw it in the trash. And he did. And I immediately regretted <laughs> making him do this. Right? Because it was just an aw- And he is just beside himself. Like he cannot. And so he goes back and he's laying on his bed. And I turn to Nisha once he's out of the room. I'm like, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? What do we do? Like how do, how do we reverse this? How does this, how do we make this? So we ended up having a talk with him and, and we allowed him to get Lotso out of the trash and there was no gross trash on top, so Lotso was clean enough and, and we moved on from there. But it does, you know, I bring that story up to just say, as parents, a lot of times, we're figuring stuff out as we go. We are. But, and, and we're going to make mistakes when we parent. And so our children are supposed to obey us, but they're supposed to obey us how? In the Lord. That as we are striving in everything we do to be like Jesus, that we are then instructing our kids and giving them things to do and disciplining them in the Lord. That all of these things, in fact, if you look at these verses again, I, I like the, the, what the New Living Translation says, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So it's really not about, we'll just tell them what to do or just do this or that. It's that the instruction and the discipline that we are giving our kids comes from who? And if it comes from God, if the, if the discipline and instruction we give comes from God, then what will it look like? What will it feel like? What will it, is it going to be hard sometimes? Yes. Uh, is it going to be challenging sometimes? Yes. But what is one of the things we know about how God treats us? How does God treat us? He treats us better than we deserve. He loves us in spite of all of our faults. And any time we might worry about how angry God may be with us, the image of Jesus on the cross comes to my mind. Because this God who does call us to live better lives and to obey him also has taken care of all the ways that we struggle and fail and fall. And so, fathers, don't make your kids angry. Don't push them so hard that there's a rift in your relationship. Instead, Give them the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And this should remind us of what, um, what the writer said about being a husband that we looked at last week. So wives are to submit to their husbands, two verses. And then there's ten about what husbands are supposed to be like. And who are they supposed to be like? They're supposed to be like Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Christ who gave up his life 
to cleanse the church, to, to lift these people up so they could be more than they could ever be on their own. And I, that ties directly into what we see here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, but fathers, remember that you are loving or teaching or instructing your kids in, the, in a way that comes from God. And just as Jesus gave himself up for the church, that needs to be present in your relationship with your kids as well. That they know how much you love them and how much you would give for them. Now, <clears throat> let's move on to the, to the last part of this passage. Uh, starting in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Okay. Now, first of all, when the topic of slavery comes up in the Bible, what would we like the Bible to say about slavery? What do we wish Paul would have said here? Yeah, that there, there, you know, there shouldn't be slavery, and so this is wrong, and we want him to make some sort of moral, take some sort of moral stand about slavery. And maybe even that slaves should revolt and slave owners should free whatever slaves they have. Like, we want this kind of language to be there. Uh, but none of that language is there. Instead, Paul gives this message that seems a little... Eh, right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So, kind of like that, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This feels a little feels a little off to us at first glance. So did Paul believe that slavery was a good thing, and what do we do with it today? Um, and here's, this answer may be a little bit unsatisfying to you, but hear me out. In the world that Paul lived, there was slavery. And um, he couldn't imagine a world uh, without slavery as much as as much as we would have wanted him to, this was just how the world was. His world worked through slaves, taking a vital place in most households, except for the very, very poor. And treatment of slaves and its legal regulation varied enormously uh, all across the ancient world from country to country and owner to owner. And many slaves were valued, respected, and trusted family members, and others were used and abused in every way imaginable by careless and inhumane masters. But they were simply a part of the way the world worked, in this area at least. And a lot of the Christians were potentially slaves themselves. And so Paul has to make a choice. And the choice he makes is interesting, even though it feels wrong to us. And the choice is, he says, if you're a slave, stay a slave. If you're a master, stay a master. Look at from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's writing to another uh, in Corinth where there were slaves and and here's what he says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. 
Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So listen to what he's saying to them. He's saying, if you were a slave when you became a Christian, should you then try to not be a slave anymore? No, he says, don't do that. I mean, if, if, you, can, if you can get your freedom, then get your freedom. But otherwise, just stay where, stay where you are. Stay where you are. And he makes this argument that when you are in Christ, whether you are a slave or free, that, that, that Jesus has set you free. And he makes the counterpoint that if you're free, you become a slave to Christ. You follow Jesus and he is your master. But there's this message that whatever situation you're in right now, know that in the time to come, things are going to change. So look forward to that moment, that time when things will change, but know that that your slavery right now, and this is why, know that your slavery right now doesn't define who you are. There is something more important than you being a slave. And what's more important than you being a slave is that you are in Jesus. That you belong to him, that you are a Christian. That is what defines you. It's not the situation that you're in. So stay in the situation. Now, there's more to this, okay? And, and here's where we begin to see the glue that is holding all of this section from wives, husbands, children, father, slaves, and masters together. Paul was not most concerned with the people that were reading these letters changing their economic status. He was not concerned with them climbing any social ladders. He was not concerned with them making more friends. He wanted to encourage them to do one thing. One thing. To live differently no matter what situation they found themselves in. You are going to live for Jesus no matter where you are. No matter what's happening. No matter what your life is like. You are going to live for Jesus. From Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, get this. He says you're to serve your earthly masters, but he says don't get confused. When you serve your earthly master well, who are you actually serving? You're serving Jesus. But I'm just doing my job. Yeah. But in your job, you're serving Jesus. When do you stop being a follower of Jesus? Never. Therefore, even if you are at work... (laughs) 
Even if you are a slave serving your master, you're not really serving him. You're serving Jesus in all things. You're serving Jesus in all things. And this is a huge point that Paul makes here. No matter what your situation, you are not just representing yourself. You are a follower of Jesus first before you are anything else. And therefore, no matter where you are or what is going on or what your life is like, you are still a follower of Jesus in all those places. And you need to show that you are a follower of Jesus in all of those places. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. How many of you have worked a job that you hate? How many of you have been or worked with people or been in situations where you're around people that you don't get along with every day? How many of you have been in environments where you just feel worn out and tired and sad <laughs> when you get home every day because it's just such a grind, right? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. When we find ourselves in those kinds of situations and we interact with God, what do we do? We pray, but what do we pray for? God, would you change this? God, are you still in the business of smiting? <laughs> Is fire from heaven out of the question? We ask God to change the situation because living as Christians within these environments, we think... What that means is that God should make this better for us and deliver us from whatever it is. We're wrong. I mean, we can pray for deliverance, we can pray for those things, but do you know what we should actually be doing in all of these situations? Is living like Jesus in these situations. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but Jesus' life on earth was not a big party. The dude was homeless. There were people that hated him everywhere. I mean, he could turn a stone into bread, but they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. People plotted to kill him. They, they came up with this big, huge scheme and lied about him and beat him and took him. to Jesus' life was hard. And while we want our lives to be better at times than they are, we have the example of a Savior who loved and cared and taught and was amazing in all of the worst kinds of places and situations. He was like his Father in all of those places. So we may call out to God to take us away from whatever this thing is, but the message that Paul is giving it to us this morning is that you should be like Jesus wherever you are. So stop wishing to get out of where you are and just be like Jesus there. Be like Jesus in that place. And that's what it means to be a follower of him in this context. And then he, he gives one more line here, Ephesians 6, 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he 
who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with them. It's, it's a great line because some of these people, in the, some of them might have been slaves, some of them might have been masters. But he tells the masters something, that they need to remember something. Are they really a master? They might be in charge of this person, but guess what, master? You have another master. You are all under who? Jesus. And he is the one that you are modeling yourself after. Therefore, you are to be a different kind of master than any other master would be. And he doesn't command them to release the slaves. He doesn't do that. But think about this. He does command them to remember that God is in charge and to be the kind of person who, even in this situation, which may not be changeable, we don't know, but even in this situation, to be someone who is like Jesus. And here's what I think is the bottom line to all of this. Our lives should reflect Jesus no matter where we are and no matter what is going on. This is what our lives are about when we come to know God. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. So we will be the kind of crazy people who when they get slapped on one cheek will turn the other. Because that is what Jesus did. We will be the kind of people where we when we encounter the unlovable, we will love them. You know why? Because we know how unlovable we are. When we are wronged, we will not insist. We will not insist on justice. And you're going to apologize until I tell you you're done apologizing. You don't feel sorry enough yet. No, instead we will forgive and give grace and love because that is what Jesus did. Jesus changes everything about who we are. He changes everything about who we are. And therefore, in situations good and bad, and things are going right or they're going terribly wrong, we are called to be like Jesus in all of those places. And let me speak a word for a moment to those times of discourage, when we are discouraged, when we're facing things that are beyond us. Paul reminds these people that there is a time that is coming. There's a time that is coming that we look forward to this time where we are no longer separated from God, but we are with him and all the things that hold us down and trap us and hurt us in this place will be gone. Let me say that again. All the things that hold us down and hurt us and trap us in this place will be gone because God is bigger than all of this. God is bigger than the hurt you feel in your life God is bigger than the disappointment you have over. God is bigger than all of these things. And one day when we are with him, all of these things that keep us back will be gone. 
There will be no more tears. There will be no more sadness. There will only be joy. There will only be joy. Because we will be with our Father. And so we live in this place, doing everything we can to live like this crazy, sacrificial, loving, homeless man that changed the world until we get to go home. Amen? It is a challenge. It's a challenge to be like Jesus. It is not easy. It's why we need him so much. But let's pray this morning that we can be like him in the places where we don't really want to be like him. That the love of God in Jesus will change our hearts so that in all places, in all times, in all things, we can speak of his love and grace for us and for those that need him, which is everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these words which are challenging to us, but they remind us, they tell us of something important, that we are to be like Jesus everywhere. No matter where we are, no matter what's happening, no matter what is going on, that we are to be like Jesus. And God, I'm, I'm challenged with the sheer enormity of what that could look like. But God, into this context we say, help us to love those that are around us that challenge us. Help us to love those that we know we have hardness in our hearts over. Help us to be good to those who are not good to us. And God, may we do all of these things because you are changing who we are. You're opening the eyes of our hearts to see how broken and hurt this world is and how you are the only answer to that brokenness. So God, may we live for you everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need any prayers or encouragement this morning and you want to know this God who loves you in such an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.